You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Formerly Bulletproof Radio. A state of high performance. Uh, the guest today, he's a speaker, author, mycologist, medical researcher, and entrepreneur, and considered an intellectual and industry leader in habitat, using mushrooms as medicine and producing fungi, and considers himself a mycological warrior after 40 years plus in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, and he's come to believe that habitats have immune systems just like we do in our guts and that mushrooms are the cellular bridge between people and the environment. And he believes that our close relationship to fungi can be the basis for novel pairings in the microbiome that lead to better sustainability in the environment and better immune systems for us. He's changing uh, paradigms around the world. Definitely a game changer. Paul, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. I'm so honored to be here, Dave. Julian Mitchell is a CEO and physiotherapy, elite sports physiotherapist with high performance people at the English Premier Club. And you traveled around with basically soccer or football, depending on what country you're in, uh, players. And now you're a mushroom guy. Transition from sports in the UK to mushrooms. How the heck does that happen? I try to explain that it's a natural progression or a natural evolution, but it's, it's definitely not. I guess my, my roots were growing up in the country in farming and agriculture, but um, understanding high performance comes alongside nutrition and understanding what tools we have in those nutritional realms coming across mushrooms is, like you said earlier, there's so many applications that they have and so many properties that they can achieve um, for the desired outcomes of athletes as well as everyday people. So that was, I guess, one reason why we got into mushrooms. You know, fungi came to land first. I've been staying up this for years, you yeah. know, over 500 million years ago. Um, fungi were the first organisms to come to land. Just this past month, they found a new, a new fossil records that pushes back the entrance of fungi onto land to a billion years yeah. ago. Yeah, this is hundreds of millions of years before plants, and so these true are ter truly are terraformers, mm -hmm. and uh, they are micro terraforming habitats. And as the mycelium, the fine threads, go on the rocks and munch rocks, then plants then can follow and take advantage of those minerals. And with the mycorrhizal fungi, the plants give the fungi um, all, all sorts of sugars. And the fungi harvest uh, growth-limiting minerals to the plants. Mm. And so the photosynthetic cycles then can, can spin up. Wow. There's so much of what's been known folklorically that is now being discovered to be scientifically valid. A really simple one, and one that I heard from indigenous peoples and my European uh, ancestors, you know, have this in their folklore. When lightning strikes, mushrooms come up. Also, that's kind of a cute thing, mm -hmm. like... Out on the plains, lightning strikes, and yeah. means rains and things like that. Well, a group of Japanese researchers found out that if they grow namako mushrooms and shiitake mushrooms on logs and they zap it with 50,000 volts mm -hmm. of electricity, it substantially, in some cases, doubles the yield of mushrooms. If they grow namaco mushrooms and shiitake mushrooms on logs and they zap it with 50,000 volts mm -hmm. of electricity, it substantially, in some cases, doubles the yield of mushrooms. And then you have to think Whoa. now, indigenous people had this, you know, and it's really interesting to me when you have different groups of indigenous people, Let's geographically separated, thing. all come to the same opinion. Yes. 
you know, so myths, a lot of myths are based on things that are, are factually accurate. And that's what I see now science is converging. Because mm-hmm. I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Yeah. And I see that science and spirituality are now merging into a, a greater state of awareness. What astronomer is not amazed by the enormity of the universe that we're now able to decipher and document? It's increasingly uh, such an extraordinary tale of how small we are oh, yeah. and how vast the universe is. It makes our uniqueness, well, it's somewhat egocentric. We think we're so unique. But I believe that matter begets life. Life becomes single cells. Single cells become strings. Strings fork. That's mycelium. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, the way of matter is to create multicellular organisms. The multicellular organisms are based on networks. The first networks will be that of fungal mycelium. And mycelium gave birth to animals 650 million years ago. You and I are actually mycelial beings. Yep. And we are descendant of fungi. Fungi are our ancestors. And when you see mushrooms and they're out in the woods, these are ancient elders that have formed, that formed, that have their forms tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of years ago. These are not just a, a recent appearance like Homo sapiens, you know, the 200,000, 2 million years ago. These mushrooms predate us and their forms hundreds of millions of years prior to us, in some cases, tens of millions of years. Where do you see the future 20 years from now in terms of percentage of human diet from mushrooms versus algae versus some sort of cultured cellular product thing versus, quote, real food from soil? First point is that mushrooms and mushroom-based foods are going to play a huge role in the future of food. As they grow quickly, require very little resources in terms of water, power, and land, and the amazing nutritional profile that they have, and of course being 100% natural. As for the algae industry, and and algae will actually our biotechnology engineer previously worked in this industry in, in Europe and moved across to mushrooms largely because the uh, the adoption was going to be very slow due to its high energy inputs, its enormous use of water and limited applications due to its high unit economics and costs. And so less optimistic on, on algae and the future there, but cellular-based meats, that's, uh, I guess there's a couple of questions around what are the key ingredients, how many ingredients are being used, preservatives and numbers, uh, you know, are these ingredients GMO? So these are important questions, I guess, that come alongside cellular-based foods. And, you know, we have seen some some great plant-based meat companies um, and while being, you know, very good for the planet, the real question, I guess, is, you know, what are those ingredients and, and are there inflammatory markers within those ingredients? But I think uh, it's safe to say soil-based foods, regenerative farming should take up to, you know, 65% of our plate grass-fed permaculture-raised animal protein sources, um, somewhere around 15%. Same with mushrooms being somewhere around 15%, and cellular-based foods, somewhere around 5%. I think that kind of diet attached to asking the important questions, where was our food growing, how was it growing, this sets us up for a bright future of food and a healthier society. I know that when we run additional electricity over our brains, and I do this at my neuroscience institute in, in Seattle, uh, and I've done this for 20 years. You run a little bit more current over your brain and it causes neurogenesis. It raises BDNF the same way that taking certain kinds of mushrooms like the lion's mane that you make, right? 
we know that it does something. So is it your supposition there that inside our bodies, like, like some of our cells are fungal in origin? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're coding for the same uh, compounds. Uh, serotonin is very common and, and, and uh, tryptamines and these precursor compounds, even tryptophans, uh, are resonant throughout nature. Mm -hmm. I always thought that really good graduate thesis, which someone probably has done, but as one that I wanted to do mm -hmm. uh, way back, you know, 20 years ago, is the dimethyltryptamine pathways in nature. Yeah. If you tracked all the dimethyl, and, and psilocybin is a form of DMT. Mm -hmm. um, and if you trapped those, if you track those tryptamine pathways, you would see that all nature is connected. We have a bio, there's a universality of biomolecular bridges using tryptamines that, per, that, permeates all of nature and that speaks to me like a, of a of a sort of a nature consciousness that nature is aware we are really um we're we are just we're still neanderthals with nuclear weapons we're just <laughs> we really have not waken up to the enormity of our presence and the miracle of our existence but because of our prefrontal uh, uh cortex and and the drive for survival, it's almost like we were conditioned to have a very utilitarian and practical skill set in order to achieve the level that we have now where we can go full circle to embrace the mother that gave us birth. So given that most plants make defense compounds to keep animals from eating, this is why grains are bad for you, nightshades generally are bad for most people, how do you know that all these species that we're using are actually completely safe for humans versus, oh, they're mostly good, but they have these gnarly downsides on them? Well, that life cycle, our process for deciding what mushrooms we grow and put into our product starts firstly with a detailed scientific, scientific literature review, toxicology evaluations, and laboratory tests to get the data on DNA identification, heavy metals, microbiology and mycotoxin testing and so i guess as a listener uh you know hearing that medicinal mushrooms and functional mushrooms play a role uh, maybe uh, you know a new concept but really there are thirty thousand scientific medical articles out there in in the reviews and so this gives us you know a lot of science to work from and so i guess it's important to realize the vastness of the fungi kingdom with mushrooms outnumbering plants six to one this means just like there are medicinal and harmful plants, the same goes for mushrooms. As general rules and, and theoretically, not consuming raw mushrooms is a very good idea. And then secondly, you know, functional mushrooms um, such as turkey tail, which we know possess high amounts of PSP, which is polysaccharide peptide, which acts to support the growth and proliferation of good bacteria. Uh, it makes sense to incorporate these into maintaining and restoring good gut health. I've also seen more recent studies around specific subspecies. Uh, uh, in fact, cordyceps, I believe, is one of them that actually have anti-candida uh, properties. So the deal is you should know what mushroom you're using and what you're using it for. Uh, but I've always, uh, if you're a long-time listener, you might just say, oh, Dave doesn't like mushrooms. No, I've always said use them medicinally. And I'm amending that to say, Use them for food if they make you feel good and your food is your medicine anyway. 
So if you can eat something that tastes good, that also increases ergothionine levels, you may feel a kick from it right then. You probably won't from eating you know, half a cup of cooked mushrooms. But if you take a tincture, you probably will. Because I've noticed you know, very, very profound effects from the tinctures that you guys make. And I did test them against a bunch of others. And at least when I look at my sleep score, I get a lot more REM sleep with the specific strains of, um, of lion's mane in particular that you make. I know a group of people who are convinced that they're going to deal with their traumas or achieve enlightenment or something through, through frequent multiple times a week or once a week use of mushrooms or ayahuasca or ibogaine or any of these other things like that. Is there such a thing as too much psilocybin? Is there such a thing as too much psilocybin? Um, I've never been asked that question, but from my experiences, and the reason why psilocybin mushrooms are so interesting uh, to psychotherapists, psychologists, and even the FDA, is that they're non-addictive. They're not addictive. You, yeah. you have a massive dose of psilocybin mushrooms. Mm -hmm. You're on the ground. You're seeing God. You've connected with nature. The next day, you look at those mushrooms, you go, no friggin' way. Am I eating those again? <laughs> how, could, <laughs> like, how could you do them every day? <laughs> I'm not eating those for a month, you know? So um, I think that sort of gut response also, the microbiome is important. Most of your receptors are in your gut, you know, mm -hmm. for neurogenesis. Um, and you feel queasy right after you eat mushrooms. I think your microbiome is waking up, you know, to all of that. I would say uh, microdosing, I don't see a frequent using, uh, use of, of um, psilocybin mushrooms, microdosing. And microdosing is defined basically as one-tenth to one-twentieth of a liftoff dose. Okay. So it's a very different effect. So that, that's, that's more... Bare, that's a bit more like a vitamin. It's for neurogenesis, growing new neurons in the brain, as well as for the gut bacteria, you're saying. Right. Are there, are there fatty mushrooms? Well, lion's mane is the, the fattiest mushroom of them all with five grams out of... 100 grams of dried mushroom being uh, you know, unsaturated fat for the most part. And so really, though, the key nutrients for functional mushrooms, such as your lion's mane, your reishi, cordyceps, turkey tail, are the amino acids, the beta-glucans, the triterpenoids, and the antioxidants. What about fats? Is there, is there like a butter mushroom that grows fat inside it? I want that. A butter mushroom? Well, there are thousands of, of mushrooms out there yet to be identified, but uh, we're not aware of a butter mushroom, even though we are, you know, commonly foraging on the weekends we haven't come across this one though as we know you know if we had some grass-fed butter or some bulletproof mct oil to mushrooms in the pan that makes uh, for a pretty delicious meal you guys do some other weird stuff that may be why i get a strong a stronger response uh from your uh, your alcohol-based extracts uh, you use something called cockadoo plum that i was entirely unfamiliar with. And this is a, a native heritage food uh, from the Aboriginal people of Australia. No, I knew nothing about this. So what is it? Kakadu plum is an incredible fruit that is wild harvested by indigenous Australian communities in remote areas of the outback. So it's been shown to have the highest amount of vitamin C of any fruit in the world, 100 times an orange. And so it's very rich and rare, carrying amazing properties, including antiviral and antioxidants. And so by mixing it, with the mushrooms we've found definitely heightens and amplifies the benefits of the mushrooms, particularly lion's mane, as, you, as you've mentioned yourself. Now, we are incredibly grateful for the special friendships and partnerships we've been able to form with community and 
a specific mention, a special mention to Gumbla, an amazing man, a dreamtime leader from the Waka Waka community, who introduced us to the healing and ceremonial ways in which this is consumed in Australia. As all of our liquid extracts and powders have this amazing kakadu plum infused through the mushrooms, as well as our golden mushroom chai. And we're really getting some great testimonials about dreaming, REM levels, um, but also because of its vitamin C content, what we're finding is that it you know, helps your body recover, building immunity, which means you have more energy and your body is less under trauma. There's a great study uh, that came out, randomized placebo, double-blind controlled study on turkey tail mushrooms, mm-hmm. the mushroom mycelium, showing that um, it, it, it enhances the activity of uh, uh, lactobacillus, uh, acidophilus, and bifidobacterium. It's a prebiotic. Yes, yeah, a prebiotic. Okay. Um, and stifles clostridium, staphylococcus. So this makes a lot of sense to me because uh, a lot of people... You know, I, most people love mushrooms, but about two to five percent of the population uh, population they don't like mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't make it makes them feel queasy. They don't like that. I realize now that that's actually a scientific observation. It may be their microbiome is incompatible with the mushrooms as a prebiotic. The majority of us, you know, the uh, yeah. umami effect of the flavor enhancing, et cetera. And it actually, your microbiome is like, yes, this helps me achieve a better homeostasis and and health. But some people are mismatched. And so that mismatching may be the case. Now with psilocybin mushrooms taking them high doses several times a week, I don't see it. I think you need to reset. I think you have to renormalize. You need to wash your receptors uh, and then, then stimulate them again. But I think it's like, it's like the tide you know, of the Sick water cool. washing yeah. onto the land, that washing and then retreating and then resetting, I think it makes the experience uh, continually novel and fresher. And I think that stimulation, pause, stimulation, I just know from lots of other work that I've done, mm-hmm. that sort of pulse therapy is much more effective. For everything than- for diet, for exercise, for fasting, yeah. it doesn't matter. It, it's, if it's not cyclical, it probably doesn't work well. Yeah. What are the what does the research show about what happens when people eat oyster mushrooms? There are a number of different types of oyster mushrooms, such as the pearl, the king, the blue, the pink, and the yellow. And we grow all of these in Australia at our farms, and they all have great compounds and nutrients from B vitamins, folic acid, calcium, iron, zinc, and potassium. Probably two amazing data points that are of most interest is one around the amazing antioxidant ergothionine and ergothionine is involved in the protection of mitochondrial DNA and chronic inflammation. So this, I guess, really lends itself to being a great mushroom as part of an anti-aging strategy um, as it protects using its antioxidant profile. The second one would really be uh, focusing on something called shikimic acid, which there was a great study out of the university in Japan in 2014 that showed by growing oyster mushroom mycelium and mushrooms under blue light increased the expression of shikimic acid by 200 fold and why that's important is because it helps inhibit the enzyme for influenza a and b viruses which are responsible for the flu so eating oyster mushrooms that are growing this way is a a great strategy for staying healthy in winter and preventing those cold and flus uh, now, how how can you take oyster mushrooms? You can eat them. Is this appropriate for a powder or uh, a tincture? 
you can make them into tinctures absolutely. I guess uh, they are a delicious mushroom. So it's like some of the other mushrooms such as the reishi or the turkey tail which are inedible because they've got what's called chitin in them. So they're very tough and fibrous. They're not able to be cooked down. So the oysters uh, can be put into risottos, into breakfast dishes, into soups or broths or a great side to some vegetables and, and you know, some grass-fed steak or meat. And so they are a delicious mushroom to consume, uh, but they can be in a tincture as well. They can be in other powdered forms. Just uh, to define that word for, for people who really probably haven't dug in on it, tincture. What is a tincture? What are the ways of making a tincture and what are the pros and cons? Absolutely. There's, tinctures are, uh, in our case, we make a double extract, which is a water ethanol extract. So... That's a process where we're extracting the medicinal compounds using water and ethanol as the process. And so by doing the tincture process with water and ethanol, you're getting all the medicinal compounds, the, the beta-glucans, as you mentioned, the polysaccharides, the triterpenoids, the terpenes, all these uh, you know long-winded names that are essentially the medicinal compounds come from that extract. But in a liquid form, it's more bioavailable than in a powder form. And so that's why we are, we're big believers of that and, and very passionate about making high-quality tinctures. Just as you mentioned previously about the kombucha space, you know, kombucha comes onto the market, there's some high-quality products there, and then the market gets flooded with an, a whole range of products and the quality goes down. And so it's really a matter of keeping the quality high um, so people are, are getting those effects. If you're listening to this, you go, oh, tincture, that sounds hard. No, you make a tincture every morning. It's called coffee. It's a water. It's a hot water extract of Arabica coffee beans, at least if you're drinking good coffee. It might be robust otherwise. So tinctures are nothing new. Tea, tea is a tincture. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD+, and that helps you make energy, it helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. I authenticated that the diluted extracts of mycelium, the water and ethanol, had extremely potent antiviral activities, far exceeding that of pharmaceuticals. Wow. A natural product offers a strong, had a stronger effects than a pure pharmaceutical. In this case, compared to ribavirin and cydofavir. Mm -hmm. These are two uh, well-known antiviral drugs. So the side-by-side -side comparisons blew them out of the water. And it was diluted, these extracts are diluted 100 to one. Because they're in 35% ethanol, and, mm -hmm. and these are in vitro human cell wall assays in laboratories sponsored by the U.S. government. So they have to dilute the alcohol down to 0.35%. Oh, it kills the cell. So, right. Yeah, it's 100 yeah. to 1 dilution. And 100 to 1 dilution, we, you know, beat these antiviral positive drug controls. So you basically soak the mushrooms in alcohol, pour off the alcohol. I'm simplifying it. Filter it a little bit. 
yeah, cut it with water it's by the mycelium. It's yeah. the mycelium. Yeah, so not the mushroom, yeah. but the mushroom roots. How do you even gather mycelium versus the, the bodies? You dig them up? How do you filter them well, out of the soil? Extensive laboratory. Okay, got it. So you have a lab that does yeah, that, right? Yeah, laboratories, you grow it in vitro. And, okay. and all, it's in my books, Growing Gourmet Medicinal sure. Mushrooms. Anyone sure. listening can look up yeah. the books. You can, all can do this yourselves. I mean, this is Correct. not, this is not, it's not. It, making it's mushroom not, extracts not, is easy. I was going to say, it's not rocket science, but it's actually, there is some heavy science involved. But like anything else, once you do it a few dozen times, you get pretty good at it. So, you know, I, I actually had a waking dream. Wow. I did have this idea. So, oh my God, I wonder if these extracts used in the BioShield Biodefense program can redu- help the bees because the varroa mites are vectoring viruses. And the deformed wing virus is the most harmful of the viruses. Mm-hmm. So it's like having a pancake on your back. These mites are that big. The varroa mite is called varroa destructor because of it destroys. The, and once a beehive has 7% mite infestation, mm-hmm. the, it's terminal. The, wow. the beehives won't survive. Okay. Now, we, we tested about 10 species. Five of these polypores uh, have demonstrably positive effects in reducing these viruses. There seems to be species specificity factors. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Certain species of these polypore mushrooms are more active against certain species of virus. There's the Israeli apiary a- 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 virus. There's the deformed wing virus. There's the varroa destructor virus. You know, so the different clades of viruses. But we were able to first through PCR showed all the viruses that were harmful reduced by 90%. And then we look at specific viruses and then we reduce the deformed wing virus 850 or something to one, the Lake Sinai virus 45,001, all the one treatment. So this is amazing because now I can make the argument, this is really important, that natural products can offer a greater bioshield of benefits than a pure pharmaceutical. Mm. We showed it with the bioshield program. Now we're showing it with bees. Now the bee study, this is an animal clinical study. Bees are the second most well-studied animal in the world, humans being number one. But everybody missed this. Mm. And we all grew up with Winnie the Pooh. Right. We all knew that bears went into rotted logs where there were bees to get honey. And so this is the way of nature. Is my, this, you follow the mycelial path. You then come into a mutualism with fungi. And their armamentarium of benefits when you once you're in their guild, in the fungal guild. Mm-hmm. Now you have partners with bacteria that are helping you. Fungi that are helping you. Uh, Talk to me about chaga. Chaga is a fascinating one from a scientific point of view. We refer to it as a sclerotia, uh, not a mushroom, as it is actually a compact mass of mycelium growing on the outside of a tree. And so this grows wild in climates of Russia, northern Canada, parts of the US and China, typically growing on birch trees over five to 15 year periods. And so we don't have access to this in Australia. In terms of its properties, it's it's well known for you know, activating B cells and micro, macrophages. And so these play a major role in you know, an adaptive immune system by secreting antibodies. And, and secondary to this, it also secretes metabolites, which have potent antioxidant properties such as polysaccharides and triterpenoids. And this has been proven to provide and protect cells against oxidative stress. So what's the deal with lion's mane? Can you eat it? And uh, how's it best taken? What does it do? It's known as, as lobster of the woods, but it's uh, it's by far a, a very popular mushroom for its benefits for the fact that it stimulates nerve growth factor. And so nerve growth factor stimulates myelin reproduction and myelin is, is what's around our nerve cells and our neurons. And so as 
we're getting older, which occurs from you know pretty much our early twenties. We're starting to decay slowly. It helps remyelinate the nerve cell and the nerve sheath. And so, what does that mean? Well, in in our elderly population or more aging population, it's where did I put my keys? What was I doing? What was on my checklist? It's just that that mental sharpness and clarity starts to fade. In the younger population, it's really around memory, focus, concentration, optimum performance is what we're seeing. And so you take it either in the morning or in, in the evening, it will affect your, your REM and your dreaming. And it will also increase your ability to just find clarity on a mental space and, and focus. Talk to me about how to cook mushrooms. What's the best way to cook them so that I get all my bioactives? First of all, make sure you are consuming them cooked, not raw. This way you're breaking down the skin of the mushroom known as chitin to avoid any digestive issues or discomfort. And secondly, cooking the mushrooms also kills the unwanted spores and compounds. When cooking, say, the oysters or the shiitakes to maximize your ergothionine, it's important to preheat the pan, add some water, and then cook on a high flame for a couple of minutes. Do some of the compounds in mushrooms benefit from being cooked or eaten with fat, or are these mostly water-soluble and, and alcohol-soluble? It doesn't matter. The extracts that we make are water and ethanol-soluble, so okay. you can go down either path. But I'm and talking about in terms of cooking. In terms of cooking, what compounds are you going to consume or make more bioavailable? So if you're cooking in a fat, then you, you're going down the path of a, a fat-soluble extract, which means you're going to get your triterpenoids and your terpenes. Whereas if you go down a water-soluble cooking path, then your beta-glucans, your polysaccharides, is what's going to be more bioavailable to you. So that means I'll uh, I'll keep I'll keep cooking my mushrooms uh, and I won't cook them on low temperature. So sous vide mushrooms not a good idea. Not a low temperature and not raw. All right, they're the, they're the takeaways. You've almost certainly read the Secret Life of Trees. Mm-hmm. The Secret Life of Trees uh, talks about a, a network effect in forests that is uh, unbelievable. Deciduous trees growing in the rivers will translocate nutrients up to, I think, to 14% nutrients to uh, trees like hemlocks that are nurse logs in the old growth forest. Well, and it was always wondered, why, how is it those small trees survive in the dark darkness and the low light conditions of the old growth forest? And so they radioactively tagged and they found uh, nitrogen mm-hmm. uh, and carbon being transferred from deciduous trees to conifer trees over hundreds of feet. So the mycelium was actually having a mothering influence to protecting biodiversity. It was growing the, the forest. Paul, it's been a, a profound pleasure to have you. I've got a final question for you. How long are you going to live, given what you know about mushrooms? I don't know how long I'm going to live, but I do feel that the impact that we have on future generations, and I feel the keen sense truly, of future generations calling back in time, calling to you, Dave, calling to me, calling to all of us that's listening, that we have an enormous influence on the future. And it is time for us to take up that responsibility and to think downstream. What a, what a fantastic and unexpected answer. Uh, Paul Stamets, uh, founder of Host Defense, Perfect Fungi, but your big thing right now is bemushroomed. Bemushroomed.com. I will do this to the, to the limits of my ability. We decided to open it for the commons. I will commercialize only in order to create a financial vehicle to be able to give it away. You have to be profitable to be charitable. Yep. I have to create the revenue stream to be able to afford to do this. I can't, I can't distribute 100 million bee feeders. That's what it's going to take to save the bees. 
is my estimate, 100,000 beef eaters, 100,000, 100 million beef eaters, 100 million citizen scientists all over the world uploading their data, sharing observations, and proving it. Well, that whole feeding your kids and your grandkids because we have pollinators out there seems pretty important. So I'm, I'm behind you and I'll put this up in the show notes. All right, thank you so much. All right, Dave. The future will largely be determined by biotechnology. And if we keep the greater good in mind and strive to reach our full potential, that means working symbiotically with mushrooms. Thanks for making stuff that works. Have a wonderful day. And if you like this episode, you know what to do. Try some mushrooms already. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.